there folks and welcome welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host Ziv Nakajimam again and this podcast is brought to you among others by Native Shark, which is an online platform for learning Japanese. And what Native Shark do is they make learning Japanese really really simple. You log in, you click a button that says study now and the platform then shows you exactly what you need to learn next based on your previous progress. Now Again, this is simple, but the way it's designed means that students who use Native Shark once a day for four to five months can complete the equivalent of over two years of university study. And this is not just um, them patting themselves on the back. Now that Native Shark's been in business for over a year, the results are in. So this is exactly what people are saying. Uh, just looking at a couple of posts in their community forums. And the student community, by the way, is one of the best things about the platform. So one person's writing, most productive year I've had learning Japanese. And then another one says, I've started learning over a year ago with all of these other platforms. And what I learned there is only a fraction of what I've learned on Native Shark in just three months. And then yet another one goes, in my mind, my study timeline only started with Native Shark because that's when I really started learning consistently and on and on. So yet the proofs in the pudding, it's definitely the best online course out there. And since you've heard about it here on the podcast, you also get an extra little bonus. If you sign up for their free trial uh, using the URL nativeshark.com forward slash NTI, and we'll link to it in this episode's show notes. So that's native without an E. So N-A-T-I-V shark, all one word, dot com forward slash NTI. You use that link to sign up and you'll get a double length free trial. So two weeks free instead of just the one. No need to put in your credit card or anything of that sort. You can just sign up, give it a shot. And chances are at the end of these two weeks, you'll already be far ahead of wherever you are with your Japanese at the moment, whether you're just starting out or you're already in knee deep. Give it a shot. NativeShark.com forward slash NTI. Okay, so now for today's episode. This is a recording of a call with a pair of very cool Australian mates. They've been coming to Japan for quite a few years now, big winter sports enthusiasts. And like many others in that same situation, they've started thinking about getting a place to call their own somewhere not too far from the slopes, not only for their own personal use and to save on accommodation costs, but also for potentially turning a bit of a profit by renting the space out to others like them. Now, this is a topic that we've visited here on the podcast quite a few times already, but in this particular call, we've really dug deep into the logistics of it. So what can be done, what cannot be done, what might be doable, but would require more significant capital and more logistics. We talk about resort units versus standalone land parcels, individual ownership versus commercial entity and hotel licensing and so on and so forth. So a pretty thorough deep dive into how it all works and what can be accomplished here in Japan as far as winter and ski resort accommodation is concerned. So I hope this brings value to many of you in similar situations. Enjoy the conversation and I'll see you again on the other side. All right, go for it. How can we help? Um, so we've been talking to you about um uh, the opportunity for in Iyama, um, maybe some background. Um, Joe and I have been to Japan four times together, I think. Um, I've been there about 13 times total um, over the years and fell in love with the place. And we fell in love with um, the uh, Nagano area around 
Iyama, Nozawa, Onsen, Shigakoga in that area. Yep. Um, and we've always had in the back of our minds that we wanted to, you know, what, what possibility and opportunities out there um, for having a property full-time to try and reduce... Um, uh, Accommodation costs, for, costs basically. Um, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. like that sort of thing. And then if, if we did have something there, what sort of opportunities or um, abilities does that give us for... Um, uh, um, having more ability to come in for the, um, what's the word, business visas and that sort of thing so we can come and go more often. Yeah. Um, I've really been the one that's um, looked into it more than Joe. Um, so I have sort of come to the conclusion that we want like yeah, a small monthly rental in Iyama. Um, it sort of fits the bill for me on several fronts. It's quite close to several um, of the ski places we want to. It's um, on a, a Shinkansen line, so there's good access in and out, uh, and it looks like it's used almost year-round because in the summer you've got like the mountain biking and that sort of thing, and then winter, obviously, the winter sports. Yep. So I guess the what we're really looking for is sort of a, a validation of some of the ideas that we've been kicking around because um, I've just been doing it myself and... I don't know if I'm on the right track and all that sort of thing. Yep. Well, I guess there's two ways that people usually go about it. One of them is to actually own um, like a villa or a unit or a few units in an actual resort on resort land. Um, And that then gives you access to resort facilities, but it also comes with monthly fees which are usually about, uh, they start at around two, $200, so about 20,000 yen per month. Um, and in exchange for that, you do get, um, usually you do get uh, discounted ski lift tickets and you get uh, discounted access to the onsens and the swimming pools and you get access to the ski storage uh, uh, rooms and so forth. But yeah. the um, bigger issue with that is that you will absolutely not be able to rent these out to anyone. So they're very strict about um, only uh, okay. only for use by owners. Um, some of them do allow you to let um, friends and guests use it. And I guess a lot of people are just, um, you know, charging these people and, and passing them off as friends or guests. Um, so, oh, yeah. but that means that you're not going to have access to any of the typical Japanese short-term stay advertising platforms because obviously the resort management would be able to see if you're doing anything there. And yeah, same right. goes for yeah. Airbnb, anything that's um, really well-known enough for people to check on. And some of them are actually okay. even stricter in the sense that even if you want to bring uh, guests and friends over to stay, they you, you have to be accompanying them. Like they can't actually ah, okay, just yeah. rock up and say, yeah, hi, I'm a friend of Tristan. I got the key. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's one option. That's probably, unique. that's probably not going to be relevant to what you're planning. If you're planning to use that place, definitely not for a business, uh, visa, but also not for any kind of business. Um, so the other yeah, option well, is to get land and, with or without a structure, so either something with an existing structure on it or something that you're going to be constructing your own structure or, you know, getting a prefab structure put on there or anything of that sort. Yeah, I, I, we wouldn't be there every year. It'd be more every second year and then maybe a month at a time. So 
sort of combining the idea of having an investment property on a monthly rental and then just one month out of 24, um, it was available for whoever would be going. Yep. Um, that's sort of like, I don't know how good an idea it would be. Um, so we were only looking for like a one LDK or a two LDK um, in or around Iyama. I don't really know what's there. I know there's a lot of small little towns in around. Um, Nagano in general is sort of where we were looking to begin with. Um, and once once that process is set up and we've got all of our, um, you know, if we need to create a company for tax implications and all that sort of stuff. And then if it is working quite well, I'd be looking at getting another um, property purely for investment um, and then looking like chasing the yield on that one. Okay. Um, well, I guess the... The main issue with that is the logistics side of things. So let, let's put aside for, for a second um, pure short-term stay like Airbnb, um, the kind of stays that are done for a few days or a few weeks without a tenancy lease, because those fall under a different legislation in Japan. It's called Minpaku and okay. you need to be licensed yeah. for that. And there's all sort of compliance issues and you need a a service person or a person living on the property or within a certain very short distance from the property. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, and there's also fire and safety requirements and um, yeah. Yeah. So that that's, I mean, that's all doable. People do it, but it does require a bit more capital and actual active hiring of staff. Okay. Um, because in those areas, I mean, there are management companies that can do this sort of thing for you, but in those areas, there are not that many of them. So that's a lot easier to do in Tokyo, Osaka, Fukuoka, big cities where there are companies that actually have offices and staff. Yeah. Um, in the areas that you're talking about, these operations are usually run by um, companies or, or business operators that hire their own staff and just put them there or it's somebody that lives very close by. Okay. Okay. So putting that aside, what you definitely can do if you own um, your own property, you can definitely lease it out, uh, rent it out, and that can include uh, monthly rentals. Yeah. And what a lot of people do is even if the rental is actually going to be for a period of one or two or three weeks, they draw the rental lease for a month and then they just de adjust the price accordingly um, based on the actual period of stay. Uh, okay. So yeah. as so long as you've got a lease, yeah. So as long as you've got a tenancy lease in place for at least a month, you're not falling under the Minpaku legislation. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, but the only issue with that is that if you're looking for a unit in a in a strata like a co-owned block where each owner where each unit is owned by a different owner, uh, building management they do a lot of times specify in the building management rule book and the bylaws that they run the building with that um, short-term rentals are not allowed. And yeah, while they, yeah, yeah so they, they haven't really got a legal leg to stand on because it is considered a standard lease for all legal purposes, but they can make life very difficult for guests. Um, yeah, I've heard of this, this situation. So um, that's basically what I wanted to ask you about. Um, mm. What would be, given what we've spoken about, what would be uh, the best alternative or the, the best part of the idea? Well, first off, I would probably go for a standalone structure. 
It doesn't have to be a huge expensive house. It can be a cabin in the woods kind of thing, but on your own freehold land that belongs strictly to you. And again, like prefab, log houses, all of these kinds of things are doable in Japan. So that doesn't have to be a costly exercise. Yeah. And then um, whether you're going to be doing it real minpaku or monthly leases is really depends on what sort of capital and business management thing you want to put into it. So if you just want to do monthly leases and have an actual lease in place, if it's your land and your structure, you're completely free to do that. Okay, yeah. And then if you want to actually be running like a lodging business and, you know, put it on Airbnb and have people come in for a few days or a couple of weeks at a time, then it might be a good idea to set up a company in Japan or a branch office of a, of a foreign company in Japan and actually yeah. apply for the license, uh, like a hotel or in license, and then you can manage it remotely. But then again, you'll have to hire staff to actually live on site or very close to it. So it does become a bit of a bigger, maybe exercise than what you had in mind. Yeah, that's yeah. I didn't really want to go down that path at yeah. this stage. Did you want to say something, Joe? No, 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 sorry. I, I, just, just verbalizing what I was going through my head, which was, yeah, that wasn't quite what I had in mind either, which is, I thought if we could, if we could start, keep it, between ourselves and not have to not have to hire too much outside yep. or, or, or you know engage in a management company or hire a living uh, uh, hire a living person to maintain the property yeah it's that's gonna that's gonna well I mean you're still even a little bit more even if you're doing the short-term rentals you'll still have because you're only coming in once every couple of years you're still going to have to outsource uh, uh, cleaning and um, cleaning and stuff yeah, yeah maybe gardening yeah. depending on what sort of land you have and what it looks like around it and uh, um, structural maintenance once in a while so there will but that can all be outsourced to third parties on a per need basis you don't actually have to hire anyone for that Okay. Um, and in those areas, you're always going to have uh, cleaning and maintenance companies, just not necessarily um, like property management companies that can handle short term. That's going to be a bit more challenging in those areas. So the check-ins okay. and check-outs, the check-ins and check-outs will have to be kind of hands-off. You'll have to sort of um, put one of those lock boxes um, on the yeah. uh, on the thing, and you. You can ask the management company, uh, the, sorry, the cleaning company, maybe to change the code every time they come in, that sort of thing. Um, in between guests, um, they should be able to to do that as well. If you give them clear instructions, and then the next guest would have a different code, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, just to open that key lock, um, and that could be fairly hands off, but you'll still obviously need to be hands on as far as. Um, handling advertisings and bookings and receiving payments and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. That sort of answers a couple of questions. Um, so if you're looking, I guess what, what I'm trying to say, if you were looking for an arrangement where there's a company out there that manages everything for you and does bookings and advertising and handles check-ins and check-outs, you're not going to find that in those areas. It's very unlikely. Mm. Unless you're purchasing in a very... Um, high-end resort kind of area where this is done on a regular basis in which case there would be companies set up but that's probably not the more affordable properties that you've been considering now we're going to interrupt this broadcast i always wanted to say that we're going to interrupt this broadcast to give you a quick reminder that nti is now partnered with meta securities hospitality property fund 
and they're offering their mind-blowingly gorgeous Machia townhouses in Kyoto. So there's four of them, each about 100 years or older, lovingly restored and renovated to modern standards luxury. Stunning architecture and comfort, all the modern conveniences, including uh, your scenic indoor or outdoor bath, spectacular dining and sitting rooms, disgustingly decadent Japanese or Western-style bedrooms, high-speed Wi-Fi internet, kitchen, outdoor decks, Japanese gardens, the works. Now, each of these homes can comfortably host two or three families, including kids. So anywhere from one or two guests and all the way up to a dozen or so. And you can rent the entire house to yourself. So no other guests. It's all yours. Run around naked all day and night long, if that's your thing. Supreme Japanese-style luxury accommodation. And since at the moment there are still no foreign tourists in Kyoto, these places are available for rent at ridiculously low prices. So we're talking as little as $430 for a whole week. That's right, luxury accommodation for an entire clan, two families or more, for as little as four, five, or $600 a week. Obviously, the longer the stay, the cheaper the rate is, but you can rent these for anywhere between one or two nights and up to a month or more. So perfect for a weekend getaway, extended holiday, workation, family reunion, company retreat, or even as a gift to a valued client, whatever you might have in mind. And if you book these through our website, you're also going to get an added bonus of one or more 3,000 yen. So that's $30 QO cards, Q-U-O. Those are gift cards that you can use all around the country in convenience stores, restaurants, various stores, lifestyle shops, you name it. The number of cards you'll get depends on the length of the stay, but you'll always get at least one of these. So if you're in Japan, or even if you're out of Japan, but you think that you might be able to get in sometimes in the next year or two, and you've been thinking about spending some time in Kyoto, this is your chance to nab the best accommodation deal possible. So we'll link to the bookings page, which also has some amazing photo galleries for each of these properties on offer. Now they all come with a fully equipped kitchen, but you can also choose to have your meals delivered to the property if that's your thing. The operator can arrange that for you at very reasonable prices. And if you can't see the show notes for any reason, just go to our website, nippontradings.com. That's N-I-P-P-O-N tradings with an S, all one word, nippontradings.com forward slash Kyoto hyphen holiday hyphen rentals, or just go to nippontradings.com and you'll see the Kyoto holiday rentals option on the top right menu bar. Now we are already taking bookings, so some of the properties may not be available on your dates, but me, the security guys are super accommodating and they'll do their best to find you an available property for whenever it is you're planning your trip, get on there, book your inquiry and take that dream holiday in Kyoto that you've been fantasizing about while these phenomenal prices are still available. And now back to the podcast. Yeah, because um, from what we've discussed, we, we were only looking maybe at the most 70,000 Australian um, as our working capital uh, and then seeing what we can do with that and then seeing what our like monthly or yearly costs would be to do the analysis to see if it's in you know, ROI and that sort of thing. Yeah, well, for seven, uh, 70,000 Australian, I don't know. But I would say that under definitely under 100,000 Australian, you could conceivably get a, a bit of land, maybe for five, six million yen. So that'll be like about 70,000 Australian. But you'd still need to 
put some sort of cabin or, or a prefab house yeah. on it. So that's probably going to be another 2030, depending on the side of the house. And so I'd be okay. leaning more towards 90, 100 than 70. But I look, I could be wrong. There could be like very cheap land parcels in those areas. We just need to dig into that. But basically, okay. the closer um, you are, the closer you are to popular or even not necessarily internationally popular, but the closer you are to an uh, operational winter sports resort, the more expensive the land is going to be. So there are i mean in nagano you can find uh, land plots for 30 40 50000 australian but they're not necessarily going to be very convenient or accessible to those resorts yeah so yeah i was considering going further out but then the like if if a um international um customer comes like how do they get from yeah. on a station to wherever this is you know like taxi or something like that it becomes a lot harder um so i was thinking of along the lines of what would i like as if i was a customer um okay well close close enough to the resorts so that they can actually get there with public transport i mean let's say from the nearby train station to the actual i mean they could take a taxi they can rent a car whatever but if they want to be close enough to the resort so they can easily conceivably commute there every day for skiing for example i don't think you're looking at land plots that are less than five six million yen okay which is about, about 60 60 about but that's that. just the land though that's not necessarily going to yeah. have yeah, anything livable on it there might be like an old shack or something but <laughs> yeah. yeah not something you'd put guests in or charge them for it for sure yeah um okay i guess the next question would be like um in in this sort of area um it is prone to earthquake if we were doing our own plots um what sort of insurances and whatnot would should we be looking into and like other other costs that would be involved in say we buy the land and we put a shack on it uh, and we're doing um having a a company doing the uh, monthly rentals what sort of hidden things should we be looking for in our uh, cost analysis? Well, first off, for proper, let's call it proper rentals with a lease in place, you don't need a company. You can do it under individual names as, okay. as cool. a joint ownership venture kind of thing. And you can lease out to tenants that way because setting up a company means, uh, even if it's in just a branch office, it means uh, that your annual accounting will jump up from a few hundred bucks to a few thousand bucks a year. Okay. Um, so unless you're planning to really generate sufficient income, that's probably not the best deal. It might be just a better idea to just yeah. buy it under both your joint names kind of thing. Yeah. And then insurance in okay. Japan, again, assuming that you're not running an actual um, accommodation business, but you're just renting out to like basically normal tenants, whether it's for the month or for the year. Um, yeah. Insurance is pretty cheap. So you're looking at... Um, um, maybe $500 a year, usually less than that, maybe 200, including the structure. Um, okay. for units, I'm just thinking, uh, I can actually, let me just open a little, uh, just a house that we recently did in Sapporo. Just give me a second. Um, Anakuma House Insurance. So 
So for a house, and that's a lot bigger than the type of house you're talking about. It's like a four-bedroom, typical wooden Japanese house kind of thing. Um, that was just under 2000 Australian for five years. So yeah, about $500 a year. I'm guessing with the kind of small structure that you're talking about, you're probably looking at two, 300 bucks a year. Okay. Um, you do want to add, uh, just because accidents happen, you do want to add uh, landlord insurance for a case of death in the property, which can happen sometimes. Uh, so that's another 50 bucks a year or what? So still, still very doable. Uh, aside for that, your biggest expense, I'm guessing, would be, well, cleaning between guests, but that's only if you have guests. So that's sort of factored into your stay charge. But um, just maintenance of the property itself. So if you're putting something prefab, like uh, that was just built or just constructed um, on, on demand for you, it's a brand new one. So you probably won't have much to do maintenance-wise for the first 10 years, but you will need to pay for snow clearing, yeah. um, depending on the structure and depending on the elevation on the land. Uh, that's probably about, depending on how big the land is, that could be maybe two, 300 bucks a year. Otherwise, probably not much i mean depending on what sort of service you want to provide to the guests if you want to put internet in there that's about 50 bucks a month yeah um yeah. maybe in those remote areas maybe a little bit more than that i'm not sure but definitely not more than 100 um water electricity depends on how much they use but again that's sort of factored into your uh, guest charges yeah okay um so do you know of or do you provide the sort of services you're talking about with the management um, and what sort of fees would be involved with that? Um, we, so we can facilitate the purchase, which is based on a percentage of the purchase price. Um, we're, yep. cap, we're capped at a minimum of 5% of 5 million yen, but I think including the house that we're going to arrange, you're probably going to be over that. So let's assume 4% uh, of the purchase price of the house and land. That's for us to facilitate the purchase. And then for management, if you just need us to be your contact in Japan to receive your um, any communication from uh, local authorities or that kind of thing, then we charge... Um, if it's only for property tax payments, we just charge once a year. So that's uh, an one hour of labor, which is uh, about 35 Australian. So 3,080 Japanese yen. Well, it's actually 2,800 plus tax. So it works out to be 3,080 Japanese yen. And that's once a year. If you need us to do anything beyond that, we just charge by the hour. Okay. Um, so, for example, for us to set up a management company, make sure that they know what they're doing and hand them over a copy of the key and be available for them, that probably can be arranged within five to ten hours, depending on how much research we'll have to do. And then if they actually, if you, if you can communicate with them directly uh, in Japanese, then you can take on management after that. Otherwise, if you need us to um, just pass on information between about bookings and when it's time to come in and schedule their appointments to come and do what they need to do, then again, we charge by the hour. I'm guessing that would be maybe two hours per guest booking. 
So six. Yeah, my Japanese is limited to ordering beer and asking okay. for directions. So I definitely would need help there. So maybe I, I'm yeah. I'm just guessing, but probably about two hours per booking. Uh, like once to inform okay. them about yeah. the booking and make sure that they're they're yeah. on time, and once to uh, just receive a report from them when they're done or organize payment for them or that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, on the payment front, um, what is has been the best way that you found for like um, getting paid in yen and then transferring to an, an, an like to a AUD and how would that work? Well, when you say getting paid, you mean by your guests? I'm guessing your guests would be yeah, foreign. Yeah, so the whole. But your guests would be foreigners, not Japanese, right? Uh, if we were having foreign. Uh, local Japanese well would that be a problem um, just oh, okay. just in the sense that you'll have to set up a whole booking advertising uh, check-in check-out system in Japanese so for that you'll have to contact some local Japanese company that can arrange all of that for you um, okay. I was uh, up until now I was assuming that you're gonna be handling the booking and advertising and accepting payments on your own via some English platform English or platforms thing, yeah. yeah designed for what I had in my head. yeah so that that would be something like uh, Airbnb booking.com hotels.com that kind of thing yeah and then they can handle the bookings and the payments for you for a percentage of it and I suppose the on the Japanese side of things there are definitely companies uh, here that do the same sort of thing uh, there's Rakuten travel Yahoo travel Japan um, all of these sort of companies, we have not handled this for people yet. So we'll have to do a bit of research and see if we can help you set it up. And then we'll need to see if their interface is available in English on your end and then on Japanese for, on the guest's end. I'm not sure how that works. It might all be 100% Japanese. Um, okay. But if you look, if you're going to be advertising and accepting bookings and um, handling payments, in Japan, in Japanese yen, then I think it does make sense to set up a local corporate entity of some sort. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking, I mean, there are there are a lot of virtual assistant kind of companies that can probably do that sort of research and handle it for you. Um, I know a few um, property management companies that maybe not operate physically in those areas, but they should be able to set up the infrastructure for you so that you can take bookings and receive payments and so forth. Okay. Um, it's sounding like, uh, to begin with, we should probably look for English speaking clients. Um, well, I'm just because just because Japanese um, Japanese clients in Japanese language have a lot of options to choose from. I'm not sure you're going to be very competitive in that market. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, makes sense. But in English to foreigners, there are not as many options, especially if you're going to make it a bit more, um, you know, a bit more budget friendly. Um, yeah. There's not yeah, a okay. huge amount of options. So I think you probably have a bit more of an edge if you try to cater to the foreign crowd. Yeah, um, but um, it's definitely doable in Japanese too. I mean, people are doing it on a, on a daily basis. I just... Um, because I mean, we won't be able to handle that sort of thing for you. That it'll have to be a company that specializes in that, in advertising and bookings, and taking bookings and taking payments from guests. Um, okay. So again, similar to the cleaning company, we can organize that for you and and ask them to put everything in place. 
um, but we'd have to look at the costs and see if it's worth it. And I would probably do at least a little bit of um, competition analysis in the area that you're thinking about first, just to see if it's really worth your while or not. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Um, assuming that we don't go ahead with this uh, and we wanted to look at getting same sort of capital inlay uh, and we wanted to look at getting uh, an investment property with yields and whatnot, um, what's, what's the sort of best areas at the moment? Is it so still has the property market really been affected by COVID and the no um, um, tourists or in the, the aftermath of the, um, not aftermath, after the Olympics? So we're talking about, uh, we're not talking about ski resort related things now, just no, so typical investment put property. put that to a side yeah. for now and then yeah. go on a, a different path. Uh, if we've got the same amount of capital outlay, um, yeah. what are our options? Um, well, that could buy into most cities, maybe not central Tokyo, but it could definitely buy a um, one bedroom or studio in most cities. In some cities, it could buy something maybe a bit bigger than that. Um, in buildings that are maybe up to 30 years old, the sweet spot for cash flow would be between, I'd say, 20 to 30 years old. Uh, one betters, um, if you're looking for short term stay, now is not a good time for that. Um, yeah. Airbnb and real Minpaku again is not available in units that are in co owned blocks. Um, and even if it was available, there's no short term stay guests at the moment. That industry is pretty much dead without the tourists. Yeah. Um, monthly rentals similarly are not doing that well. I mean, they're not completely out dead in the water, but there's not as many guests or as much demand for it as there used to be. People just tend to stick to where they are at the moment. They're not traveling as much. Yeah. yeah um, sort of I'm hoping that'll change soon. I mean, we're at 50% vaccination rates and um, barring the deltas and the lambdas and the gammas or whatever's going to come next, we, we might be able to see things slowly get back to normal but if if you're purchasing before that whenever that might be um, I probably look at standard long-term leases for now okay and if and when a tenant um, if and when a tenant move out and if the property is located in an attractive location then we can always then talk about converting it to short-term stays in the future yeah um, from what I've seen of um, the analysis that have been sent through the yields are pretty decent sort of five to eight percent yeah is that sort of still the case pretty much uh, just bear in mind that the closer you get to the higher yields the more likely it's going to be a pretty suburban property which is not bad for okay. long it's not bad for long-term leases but it limits your options if you do want to convert it to short-term stay in the future short because okay. yeah because yeah. short-term stay guests like to be closer to more attractive areas not really suburban yeah, understandable. Mm. Um, I think that's pretty much all of the questions that I had. Um, Joe, do you have anything specific you wanted to ask? No, nothing more. Um, that, that, I, I think that's opened my eyes to, to some of the options that we were thinking about and maybe we need to think about something a little bit different. But Yep. Yeah. No, no, that's, uh, that's answered all my questions so far.
All right. Well, look, with the typical investment properties, I'm guessing you're on our mailing list, so you're probably receiving samples of those uh, on a fairly regular basis. If you want us to put in, uh, we're happy to put in, um, let's say, one or two hours of free research if you do want to look at what land or what a prefab house costs in those areas that you were thinking of. Um, So we can put that in and give you just a rough idea of what's out there. Okay. Yeah. Um, Um, I think we'll have it. Oh, sorry, my only other question, um, yep. I, I was just thinking about it then. What is the, uh, what's the current interest rates um, on on loans at the moment? If we were to, because I think what, what we'd be looking at is um, we can go for a 25%, was it a 25% um, deposit and then loan with the bank? Is that right? Uh, Japanese banks are not going to touch you if you're not resident. Okay. Yeah. So this is this yeah, is all. Right. It, it's all got to be up front. Yeah. Sorry yeah. about that. Okay. It's um. Yeah. If you, no, if no, you, no. That's. I was just thinking. If you set up a company and you demonstrate a couple of years of income, and the company is a Japanese entity, and you have a Japanese representative, then it might be something to talk about a few years down the track. But um, definitely yeah. not off the bat. No. No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I always. I was uh, knowing that I was always thinking long term that once we've got two or three years, then we could look at getting a loan in Japan. But you need you need that advice to be able to do it from everything yeah. I've understood. Yeah, you'll want to have some yeah. sort of residency or at least a local representative who's a, a permanent resident. Um, but I mean, uh, we got quite a few Australian customers who've just purchased things on their business line of credit or on a personal loan so if if you can get attractive uh, terms in australia or the us or whichever country that you may be able to get a loan from um it might be an option it's not going to be as attractive as uh, japanese interest rates now yeah. yeah okay all right so let yep, us know cool. if you want us to dig into any land or prefab houses or anything of that sort. And otherwise, on the um, yeah the standard investment front, we'll probably just continue to stay in touch and let us know when you want to pull the trigger or anything. Yeah, no worries. Thank you very much for your time. My yeah, pleasure. Thank you. Good meeting you. Good meeting you too. Cheers. All right. I hope you found value in this chat. There was probably the deepest and most well-organized chat we have had on this topic to date. I was trying to unpack as much as possible and really present the lay of the land, so to speak, as far as winter resort accommodation goes. So I hope I've succeeded in doing that. And if you're interested in investigating similar properties or any kind of properties in Japan, whether they're investment properties, holiday homes, commercial real estate, land parcels, any other type of real estate, we're always happy to talk shop. So just drop us a line and we'll be happy to tee up a day and time for a short voice or video chat. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis, or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa, and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company, and you've got any sort of business or visa-related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com. 
and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku. Bye.